0: we're in Colossians, back in Colossians again, we're in Colossians chapter 2, and we are verses 9 through to verse 15. So let's just, sorry, verse 8 through to verse 15. And it says this, it says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense, that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by the physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgive all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now, there's a a saying that goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm sure you've heard it mentioned. And although that phrase certainly came much later than the apostle Paul, it would seem that Paul appreciated the sentiment that lies behind it, because In these few verses, Paul uses a series of three vivid pictures to show what God in Christ has done for all of us. And the point that Paul is making is that Christ has done all that can be done, and all that is needed to be done, and that there is is nothing more, and there is nothing else that is necessary. Now, I think as we begin 2022, that's a great focus for us to begin a new year with, is it not? So let's have a look at some of these pictures. The first one, admittedly, is a little bit gloomy. I give you that. It's about death. It says, without Christ, we are dead in our sins. See, the the thing about dead people is that they have no life. They they have no power to do anything, and in particular, Paul says, they've got no power to overcome sin or even to seek after God. And the biggest problem of all is that they don't even know that they have a problem. If you ever watched one of those zombie films, you'll sort of get what Paul's point is here. It's like the walking dead. It's, these are spiritual zombies, people who have got, they've got some sort of semblance of life, but they are trapped and they are actually oblivious to the situation that they are in. Yet Jesus has done what we could not do. He has set us free from the power and from the consequence of sin. In fact, he's given us a new life that is so new that it can only be described as being raised from the dead and the reason why paul is so excited about this in the letter to the colossians is because this is not just for god's chosen people the jews this is for everyone even the uncircumcised gentiles and this is incredible news because the work of christ is a work of power because it puts life into dead men and women it's a work of grace because it reaches out to those who did not deserve or even expect to receive anything from God. In Christ, those who were once dead are now alive forevermore. And Paul declares in verse 13, God made you alive with Christ, for he forgive all our sins. That's the first picture. The second, the next picture is maybe even more vivid as we, we turn to the image of a courtroom, because Jesus canceled the charges against us. The King James Version puts it like this in verse 14. He says, he blots out the hand writing of ordinance that was against us. What do you imagine a man or a woman they 're standing before a courtroom, and the list of charges have been written out and and, then, and now they 're actually being read out for everyone to hear all those times that person has broken god 's law is recorded there, every wrong thought, every word, every action is there for everyone to see and this list has been autographed it has been hand signed by the debtor acknowledging how great that debt is, just like a, an IOU, the person's sin has just piled up year after year, decade after decade, into this vast list of debt to God. And having been confronted by it, they have got no option but to acknowledge the seriousness of it. Now, now imagine that person is you. You are in debt to God, and you know it, because of your sin, how do you feel just standing there in that courtroom confronted by this undeniable, these self-confessed charges against you, realizing that you've got no choice but to sign it, to admit that they are all completely accurate? Yet to understand this picture, I need to give you a little bit more background information. You see, the, the material on which ancient documents were written on was either papyrus, a kind of sort of paper made from bulwushes, or, velum or velium, or whatever you call it, made from the skin of animals. Now, both of them are expensive. Both of them could not be wasted. Ancient ink had got no acid in it, so it lay on the surface of the paper. It didn't soak in like sort of our modern inks usually do, and because of that, it was not unusual for scribes to reuse paper that had already been written on. So a scribe would take a sponge, and he would wipe the writing off, and because the ink was only on the surface of the paper, it, was, uh, it, it, could, be, it could be wiped off as if it had never been there at all. So as you stand in that courtroom, as you're confronted by the charges against you, guilty as charged, you've got to admit to it, it's as if God, in his great mercy and just amazing mercy, has has taken this sponge and he has removed every single trace of your sin so completely that there is no evidence that it's ever been there at all. But Paul goes on to literally hammer home this point. And he described how God has taken the charges against his people and nailed them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And on that cross, every last indictment, every charge has been crucified with Christ. They have been nailed there and there they will stay. And uh, they have been executed and they've been removed so completely that those list of charges can never be seen again. And Paul wants to make it abundantly clear how completely and how permanently God in his mercy has removed every condemnation from his people. You see, God's grace overflows. So God's people are no longer criminals, but they're family members. They're no longer strangers, but they're welcomed home. They're they're wrapped in the grace of their loving Heavenly Father. And there's no getting around it that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the key truths of the gospel. In In fact, nothing else makes sense. We are saved by faith in Christ. You identify with Jesus Christ by His Spirit in His death, so much so that you died with Him. This means that that you're dead to the law, you're dead to sin, to selfishness, to pride. To go back to those things would be to return to the graveyard. Instead, we've been raised to a new life. In Romans 6, verse 4, we're told that we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The point is this. You live by the Spirit, raised with Christ, and therefore by the Spirit, you're filled with resurrection power. So, you do not need the help of the law or a list of rules or circumcision or, for that matter, anything else. You need Jesus. If you're struggling with habitual sin or with disobedience, you don't need to pull your socks up or try a little harder. You need more of the Spirit. Loving Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit gives a Christian and a new and a far stronger motive for obeying God than just, just trying a little bit harder. And this is the message that we see all through Paul's letters, and, and Colossians is no exception to this. In fact, Paul Paul was revolted by a work-based righteousness. He he was blown away by the total sufficiency of the work of Christ. So although there's this, I guess, undeniable call for a full and for a complete commitment to Jesus Christ throughout the Scriptures, there needs to be this radical reorientation in our thinking to live by grace and not by self-effort. So just as Christ, death meant a total change in relationship to all things, and in particular to the law. See, at a, at a very basic level, the cross was, for Christ, a break with this life. Death means life is over. So, in, in, in one sense, every, every human death is a break from life. However, for Christ, it's true in a much deeper sense. After all, in his life, he had perfectly fulfilled the law which, by contrast, we have utterly failed to do. But but for both Jesus and for the Christian, the law is now no more. For Paul, the law had got no hold and no claim over his life. Long ago, he was set free from this agonizing, fruitless effort of work-based righteousness. And listen, for a self-righteous Pharisee, which is what he was, that was an agonizing process. It's not easy to put to death pride and self-esteem. It's a painful thing to admit, but the result was a new freedom and joy that brings release and relief, and that, that makes it impossible to, to turn back, because God in His great mercy and in His grace has metaphorically taken a sponge and He's removed every trace of our sin so completely. And, uh, and, and I guess to make this without doubt, He's nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul had found his freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? There's one final picture that Paul wants to project for all of us to see, and this time it's more of a military image. The picture is of a a military commander who attacks and who conquers an evil enemy and takes them captive— In verse eight, Paul uses this imagery to warn against the false teaching that were trapping the hearts and the minds of people, and he warns warns against empty philosophies and demonic spirits, and in doing so, he poses the question, why would anybody give into such nonsense? It's a bit like in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in, in chapter two, verse 13, he writes, "'My people have committed two sins. "'They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And, and why would anybody turn away from the satisfying clean water of the spring of God's Spirit to drink at the, the dirty cisterns of this world? Yet even today, people still listen to which what sometimes appears to be very persuasive teaching, but which alters the gospel in subtle ways. Perhaps, perhaps the most the dangers of these false teachings are those that do not ask believers to forsake Christ, but instead ask them to make Christ part of a new system in a way that subtly removes Jesus from his rightful place as Lord of our lives. And all of these things, whether it be the false teaching of the Gnostics, which was the problem in Colossae, or other religious practices, or spiritual attacks of demons, or horoscopes, or Ouija boards, or any other occultic practice, are just simply wrong teaching that waters down the Word of God to justify our disobedience. Jesus has conquered all of them forever. It says He he stripped them, and, and, and this word that's used here is an act of stripping the weapons and the armor from a defeated foe, and once and for all, Jesus has broken their power. Every last power and authority of evil that thinks it has its hold over you, every spiritual ruler that stands against you and condemns you because you fail to keep the word of God. You see, that the, the devil and his cohorts they can point to the law, then they can point to you and your sin, and they can rightly demand that you should be judged. But all the time, they know something that they want you to forget. They want to lie to you and tell you that you need something more than Jesus. But the real truth is that Jesus Christ took all of your condemnation away. He nailed it to the cross. He bore that judgment. For you and in doing so he removed the evil powers greatest weapon so when accusations come you remind them that they are the ones who are defeated Jesus the conquering King is the victorious general He is the one marching in triumphant possession with the powers of evil in submission behind him, beaten forever for everyone to see. And in all of these pictures, Paul wants you to see the total adequacy and the the undeniable effectiveness of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is forgiven and evil is conquered. So what more is necessary? The answer? Nothing, nothing more is needed. Nothing more can be added. Christ has done it already. And in these these eight verses in Colossians chapter two, Paul gives the true and the lasting antidote to false teaching. In Jesus Christ lives the fullness of God in human body, And you are complete through being united with Christ. I do hope you've all had a great Christmas, enjoyed it. But I also hope that you've taken time to just remind yourself of the meaning of this season, that the gulf between heaven and earth has been bridged through the incarnation, through the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. He, and only He, is who you need. The most remarkable thing that every believer shares in that fullness. So, although this year twenty. 22 seems to be no less unsettling and no less uncertain than the one that's just gone before us. I want you to know that if you are a believer in Christ, you are complete in Him, and this fullness is a permanent experience. You are in Him. You were born again into the family of God, and you were born complete in Christ. See, there's no relationship with God that is more intimate than knowing Jesus. You have everything you need in Him. Let me just say this as clearly as possible. To be totally acceptable to God, you don't need anything else other than Jesus. There's no extras required no add-ons needed. Everything necessary has already happened and has already been done by Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of this, by faith, you are just as acceptable to God as Jesus is. That is remarkable, is it not? Can we stand together? I want us to pray. It's okay if you pray out loud. I'll just say it. You say it after me. It's quite simple. Lord Jesus, thank you that in you I know God. Because you are God. Thank you, Jesus that in you I am acceptable to God, because you are accepted. Thank you, Jesus, that in you I need fear no evil, because you have triumphed over it. Help me never to think I need more than you. Amen. Amen, Amen, folks. Amen. Amen.